Hey guys, welcome back to episode 8 of the Mysterious Benedict Society Read Aloud Podcast, book 2. Today we'll be reading chapter 8, but first a recap of chapter 7. So the journal have now boarded onto the MV shortcut and are heading to Portugal in Lipson. They met a friend named Cannonball. His real name is Joe, but all his friends call him Cannonball, so we asked them to call him that. They learn about some fancy company men on board who are shipping diamonds overseas and don't like to be bothered by children. They had a tour of the ship. Kate is trying to learn how to regurgitate with no luck. Constance has a memory of herself with Mr. Benedict, talking with him about how she may have the ability to predict certain things. Rennie reassures her after she wakes up that Mr. Benedict and number two are going to be okay, and he's trying to believe it himself. So that's a recap of chapter seven. Let's read chapter eight. Chapter eight, the significance of weather. The hours crawled by as the children waited for Captain Nolan, with the exception of one brief spell during which Cannonball thought it safe to allow them on deck. It was raining and the company owners were all below. They'd spent their entire time confined to their cramped quarters, nor had their appearance on deck, during which they were compelled to hold a tarp over their heads to keep the rain off, proved to be anything like a pleasant diversion. At least it hadn't lasted long. There'd been enough time for Constance to compose a rhyming complaint about bullfrogs and tarp hogs, by which she meant the boys, who she accused of crowding her. Time enough for the boys to observe how much more miserable a cold, wet night could be, made by a poetic companion in a foul mood. And time enough for Kate to summon Madge from the bridge tower and smuggle her down to Cannonball's cabin, a courtesy Cannonball insisted upon, since their own cabin was so crowded. But all of this took less than five minutes. Afterward, the children had retreated below decks, and since they had not done nothing but wait. Constance had finally given up and dozed off, while the bunk above her, Stiggy sat with his feet dangling over the edge, absently rubbing his scalp, which had begun to feel sandpapery with his new stubble, and expounding, rather too loudly and at great length, upon modern ocean vessels. Initially, Stiggy had limited his speech to what he'd read in the newspapers about the shortcut, but once he'd exhausted that topic, he had expanded to include all things nautical. Rennie lay in the other top bunk propped on an elbow, thinking less about structural innovations and about his friend's recent tendency to show off. It used to be that Sticky couldn't bear to be looked at or listened to. Now it seemed the opposite was true, and the effect was more than a little tiresome. Even a naturally curious person like Rennie disliked hearing lectures that hadn't been asked for. Rennie yawned and stretched, then glanced down at Kate, wondering how she was bearing up. Kate was as good-natured as she could be, but she'd also been cooped up for hours. She was sitting on the floor with her legs elaborately crossed and intertwined, in what for most people would be an excruciating position, making sure her bucket's contents were properly secured. By Rennie's count, she'd done this five times already, and he suspected she was tolerating Sticky's speech by ignoring it. At that very moment, however, the speech drew to a sudden, unexpected close, and Sticky, mumbling something indistinct about having a rest, turned into his side and faced the bulkhead. He was burning with embarrassment, for it had just sunk into him how long he'd been talking and how pompous he must have sounded. Sticky would have found such behavior distasteful in another person, and indeed it was a far cry from how he used to act. Lately, though, he couldn't seem to help himself. It was hard to resist the pleasure he felt when others were impressed by him, and they often did so seem impressed. Cannibal's exuberant demonstrations of approval, for instance, had made Sticky feel positively rapturous. And yet, when his efforts fell flat, when he bored people to death or worse when he was proven wrong, he either flew out in anger or withered in humiliation. He envies Remy, Rennie's calm, impenetrable mantle. 
To say nothing of Kate's unshakable bravado and good cheer, even Constance inspired some jealousy. For at least she had an excuse for her behavior. Sticky covered his face with a pillow. Was he really jealous of a three-year-old? Something must be seriously wrong with him. There wasn't anything seriously wrong with Sticky, though. The truth, which Sticky didn't quite understand, was that pride was a new feeling for him, something he'd rarely experienced before the year's last mission, and it was something he needed to get used to. Look who's awake," said Rennie, who had noticed Constance blinking her eyes and looking around with a disturbed expression. "It's okay, Constance. You dozed. Someone's coming," Constance hissed. Her tone was so unnerving that Rennie and Sticky had sat bolt right up, and Kate sprang into her defensive crouch. "Easy, Constance," Rennie said, his heart racing. "You must have been dreaming. You're safe here with." A knock sounded on the door. They all froze. "Hello," a man's voice called. It was Captain Nolan. Kate looked wonderingly at Constance. How did you? Never mind. We'll talk about it later. She opened the door. Captain Nolan stood in the passage, holding a small chest. His face was drawn with fatigue, but he gave the children a friendly smile as he came in. Well, my friends, I regret the circumstances. I had hoped to entertain you in my own cabin, but regardless, I am pleased to join you at last. How are you enjoying the shortcut? She's a mighty fast ship, isn't she? As the children responded with polite enthusiasm, the captain knelt to open the chest. It was a tidily packed with a miniature folding table, a serving tray, a coffee pot, and coffee cups, a bottle of cream, and two tins of sweets. Captain Nolan set up the table and laid out the treats. And Rennie and Sticky climbed down from their top bunks, taking care not to upset the little table, for there was scarcely room on the floors now to step. Indeed, when all four children were seated on the two lower bunks, their knees pressed against the table's edge, and their feet were awkwardly intermingled below. Keeping his elbows close to his side, Captain Nolan smiled apologetically and handed each of them a cup. So long as no one moves much, I believe we'll be fine. Ever have navy coffee? What is it? Asked Kate, eyeing the pitch black liquid in the pot with suspicion. It's brewed with a pinch of salt in the ground. Sticky answered. The salt's supposed to cut the bitterness. So you're familiar with it," said Captain Nolan with an approving look at Sticky. With careful movements, he filled the cups, including one for himself. Don't worry, Kate. You can't actually taste the salt. Just good, strong coffee. The children took turns stirring the cream into their cups, and the captain leaned against the cabin door and waited politely. When at last they were ready, he toasted their hearth, as if they were drinking champagne rather than coffee. Then closed his eyes and took a long, slow sip, obviously savoring it. Rennie drank from his own cup and almost choked. It was hard to say whether the coffee tasted more like gasoline or cough syrup. Luckily, Captain Nolan stood his eyes closed and didn't see Rennie grimace as he forced down the foul stuff. He shot a warning look at the others. It was too late for Kate, who was trying to twist her horrified expression into something that resembled a smile. And in a slightly strangled voice, said, "So you were in the Navy, Captain?" "The Navy's where I met Nicholas Benedict. In fact," said Captain Nolan. "He and I." "Why? What's the matter?" Captain Nolan had opened his eyes to discover the children staring at him uncomfortably. They had agreed they must tell him the truth or risk getting nowhere. But now that time had come, they were anxious. What if he decided to send them back home on the first plane from Lipson? Or what if he wanted to help them but couldn't? What if there were no more clues to be had? We need to speak with you about Mister Benedict," Rennie said after a pause. He's just then the cabin seemed to lurch. The children nearly fell off their seats, and the coffee pot and serving tray slid across the table. Captain Nolan leaped forward and caught them. The cabin righted itself just as quickly as it had gone askew. We're heading into some rough seas, I'm afraid," said Captain Nolan, as if the children could possibly have failed to notice. "Don't worry, it's nothing serious, and it won't last the night. By morning, we'll wait. What were you going to tell me about Nicholas?" 
It took a few minutes for the two to explain. By the time they'd finished, Captain Nolan was sitting on his little chest, his chin on his hands, looking quite stricken. I can't believe it. He called me from Lisbon only a last week. He said he and Number Two were having a fine trip. They're in Lisbon then? Rennie asked hopefully. They were, said Captain Nolan. They were leaving that afternoon. He called to make sure everything was properly arranged. You see, I'd invited Nicholas to be a guest on the maiden voyage months ago, and he asked if I would bring you children as guests instead. I was happy to do so. In fact, I was to play a role in the surprise he planned for you. How so? Kate asked. By presenting you with a sealed envelope he sent me several weeks ago. He said he intended to make certain arrangements, and if he succeeded, I was to give you the envelope when we reached the port. When he called from Lisbon, he confirmed I should deliver it, along with some official paperwork to ease your passage between countries. Do you have the envelope with you? Rennie asked. In my cabin, said Captain Nolan. When we finish, she I'll get it, and we can open it together. I know you meant to do this alone, and I admire your courage, but for your own safety I can't allow it. I won't send you back, but I am going to help you. It isn't that we don't want the help, Rennie said, and we certainly wouldn't mind some protection. But Mr. Kern is suspicious and extremely smart. His henchmen, the Ten Men, they'll be on the lookout for any kind of rescue attempt, and... I understand you, Captain Nolan said. We mustn't involve the authorities, must operate in secret as much as possible. That's all right, Rennie, I'll do whatever's necessary. You probably don't know this, but I owe Nicholas my life. So tell me again, what exactly... He was interrupted by a knock at the door. Captain, are you in there? I asked not to be disturbed, Captain Nolan called. You said except in case of an emergency, sir, said Cannibal, poking his head in, which it is. Captain Nolan quickly stood up. What's happened, Joe? The young sailor closed the door and was standing his back against it. There was no other place to stand, said. Well, sir, you know how Mr. Precious was going on to the other, um, the other owners about his scads of diamonds? About how the jewels themselves are worth more than the shortcut and all its crew? I seem to remember that, the captain said dryly. Well, after you excused yourself, Mr. Precious told Tom, Mr. Thomas about the... Cannibal hesitated, glancing at the children. Speak freely, Joe. Aye, sir. He told Mr. Thomas about the fakes. Mr. Precious has brought along a chest of plastic diamonds, Captain Nolan explained to the children, which he seems to think may serve as decoys in the event of a robbery. I believe he took the idea from a movie. The captain kept his face impassive, but the children got the distinct expression that he found Mr. Precious perfectly ridiculous. Now, Joe, tell me what happened. Aye, Captain. Well, Mr. Precious said the fakes were so good, the best cheap fakes ever made, he said, that he bet Mr. Thomas couldn't tell the difference. Of course, Mr. Thomas didn't like that, as he figures himself an expert on everything. Where is the emergency in all of this? asked Captain Nolan. Getting to it, Captain. So what happens is Mr. Thomas and Mr. Precious insist I take them down at the security hold to open the chests. I didn't know what to do. You said to keep them happy, as seeing as the diamonds do belong to Mr. Precious. You did the right thing. Thank you, sir, said Cannibal, looking relieved. Only the trouble is that Mr. Precious wins the bet. Without a magnifying glass, it's extremely hard to tell the difference between the real diamonds and the plastic ones. Why is that a problem? asked Captain Nolan. Because, well, sir, did you happen to notice a kind of joggle in the ship a few minutes ago? A bit of lurching? Well, Mr. Thomas and Mr. Precious were holding the open chest when that happened. They were carrying them across to where the light was better, and seeing as neither of them had his sea legs yet, why, the, uh, the diamonds and the decoys, they, <laughs> they sort of spelled out. Spilled out? Exactly, sir, and mixed together, all across the floor of the security hold. 
The idiots! cried Captain Nolan, putting a hand to his forehead. Don't tell me. Mr. Precious refuses to do the sorting himself. He wants you to do it. Yes, sir. Under heavy guard, of course. He said I'll need to examine each one with a magnifying glass. He'll inspect the diamonds when I finished, he said. But he certainly isn't going to do the initial sorting himself. That's grunt work, he said. Said it wouldn't have happened anyway if the ship hadn't been sailing properly. Of course that's what he said. And what did you tell him? I said I had to speak with you first. Said you might prefer someone else to do it. As it's likely to take several hours and I'm needed to. Everyone is needed, Captain Nolan snapped. He took a deep breath and let it out slowly. I'm sorry. The fact is, I can't spare anyone for several hours, Joe. We're short handed as it is. The crew is already working double duty, sacrificing their sleep, and now we have rough seas thrown into the bargain. What's more, Captain Nolan said with a significant look at the children, our friends have here alerted me to an urgent situation that requires my attention. Cannibal was wringing his cap in his hands. He stared at the floor. Sorry, Captain. I should never have. It isn't your fault, Joe. It's the owner's fault. First, they compel me to reduce the crew, and now this. Captain Nolan's face contorted with bitterness. His tone was dissolute. And yet, if the shortcut arrives late, if the least little thing goes wrong. I know, said Cannibal with an anxious look. I know what it would mean for you, sir. It would be. Well, if there's anything I can. You know that I. Captain Nolan's expression softened. He put a hand on Cannibal's shoulder. It's all right, Joe. We'll just have to do what we can and hope for the best. Now help me think. I'll need you on the bridge soon. So who should I assign? Who can I possibly stay up spare? Kate raised her hand. Why not let me do it? I have good eyes and quick hands. I can make short work of it. I could help too, Sticky offered. We all could. Cannibal brightened. Now there's an idea. What do you think, Captain? Set the young ones on to sorting. It's very good of you, children, said Captain Owen. And I thank you, but Mr. Precious would never stand for it. You know he wouldn't, Joe. Now please, we need to hurry. Who can I send? Cannibal's face fell. You're right, of course. He wouldn't hear of it. All right, then. What about Jenny Briggs? No, wait. You'll need her on the.、Mm. What about Matthew Tanner? The captain shook his head. Tanner took the Pratt's duties. What about Canavacon? Or is he. Excuse me, Rennie interrupted. Captain Nolan? The captain scratched his beard, evidently straining to be patient. Yes, what is it, Rennie? You said the fake diamonds are plastic, right? If that's true, then you ought to just pour everything in a tub of water. The fake ones and the real ones together. The plastic ones will float to the top. Captain Nolan and Cannibal blinked, then looked at each other and burst out laughing. Rennie Muldoon, you've just earned yourself a spot on my crew, roared Captain Nolan. Put them in water and see what floats. Now, why didn't I think of that? My whole life depends on things that float. Joe, will you? Already on it, Captain, said Cannibal, and pausing long enough to toss Rennie's hair, he hurried out. I can't thank you enough, said Captain Nolan. He started to refill Rennie's coffee cup and saw it was nearly full. Please drink up and help yourself to those treats, all of you. They're entirely deserved. Rennie may have well sealed from a fate I can hardly stand to consider. Constance had begun scarfing gumdrops into her pockets to prevent the others from eating them. What would that be? Why, dismissal, of course, said Captain Nolan. This maiden voyage is an important trip. The owners will make money if only the shortcut proves it can deliver what they promise. A reliable transatlantic exception in two days. If it fails, they'll blame something other than the ship design, and it certainly isn't going to be themselves. No, there's no doubt about it. They'll send me packing. Surely you could find another ship, said Kate. Why do you work for these jerks, anyways? Captain Nolan gave her a weary look. It's complicated, Kate. If I were dismissed from my command or the shortcut, 
If the others claim that I've surprised them with my incompetence, well, you can see it would be difficult for me to secure another position. Meanwhile, I'd be left high and dry, and that is something I cannot tolerate. No, I need to be at sea. Captain Serenia, on this point, was unmistakable. Even as he spoke the words high and dry, his eyes had begun to dart back and forth, and his jaw quivered. Enough of that, however," said Captain Nolan, composing himself. "We have more pressing matters to consider. I should return you to the bridge now, but I'll bring you that envelope when I can. Shall I bring more coffee when I come? I'll gladly brew a fresh pot." The children begged him not to trouble himself on their account, and so, with the promise to return as soon as possible, Captain Nolan took his leave. As the children rifled through their tree tins, they felt somewhat encouraged. If Mr. Benedict had called from Libsyn, they were on the right track, and with the captain's help, they might even figure out where to go next before they reached the port. This was their great hope, for when they arrived in Libsyn, they would only have two days left to find their friends. The room had begun to sway again; their movement was less dramatic than the original lurch, but even so, Rennie had experienced an unpleasant rolling sensation, as if the ocean waves had found their way into his belly. Adorning to his half-nibbled mint cookie, eating seemed like a terrible idea all of a sudden. Rennie began to put away the tiny folding table, which was threatening to tip. Kate removed the treat tins under the floor, munching happily as she did, stood deciding on what to choose next. She seemed unfazed by the motion of the cabin. So, are we going to talk about what Constance did? Asked Dicky, who, like Rennie, had sadly given up on the cookies. You know the way she knew Captain Nolan was at the door before he knocked. Constance rolled her eyes. Rennie was right. I was dreaming. Forget about it. Even if you were dreaming, said Sticky, you predicted someone was coming. I think it must have been a coincidence," said Kate, getting up to help put the table away. Rennie was having trouble keeping his balance and keeping banging his shins against the chest. What did you say, so Rennie? Rennie dropped heavily to the floor. He was feeling worse by the second. I'm not sure," he admitted. "Has anything like this ever happened before, Constance?" Constance shrugged. "Maybe I don't know." What does that mean?" Sticky said exasperately. Kate made a face at him. It means it's happened before, but how can I possibly know whether it's a coincidence or not? Unlike some people, I don't happen to think I know everything. Sticky, stung by this comment, took out his polishing cloth and made no reply. Why don't you tell us what you know? Rinning asked gently. What does Mister Benedict say about, about your gifts? Constance gazed at her shoes, evidently considering how or whether to answer him. And after a few moments, Kate seemed ready to prompt on her. Rennie, sensing Constance's emotional confusion, warned Kate with a subtle shake of his head. He was pretty sure Constance hadn't noticed yet. No sooner had he done it than she looked at him with a grateful expression. It made Rennie very uneasy, as if she had read his thoughts. Could that be what happened? More likely, she was just developing a sense of intuition, like Mister Benedict and Rennie himself, for that matter. But what if? Mister Benedict hasn't said much about it. Constance said, except that I can do patterns and stuff, which might explain everything. Or. Or maybe not. What do you mean by patterns and stuff? Asked Sticky, trying not to sound demanding this time. It's like, like, Constance sputtered her lips. One thing I'm not good at is explaining things. How did Mister Benedict explain it to you? Said Rennie. Constance thought about this. Okay, he said it was like how when most people look at a familiar word, they don't just spell it out letter by letter, even with long words like um. What's a really long word, Sticky? Epidemiological, Sticky suggested. 
Okay, it's like when Sticky said that word on paper. He already knows it, so he doesn't have to figure out it letter by letter, right, Sticky? You just recognize it by the pattern of the letters. I can do the same thing, only with more complicated stuff. Like what? asked Kate. Constance seemed embarrassed. She began to pick at her fingernails, and in barely an audible voice, she said, Like weather, and you know, stuff like that. Rennie raised his eyebrows. Weather? Constance mumbled something about not feeling very well. This happened to be the truth, nor was she alone in this, for Sticky and Rennie were both holding their bellies now. But the others would not be put out. And so, finally, she explained, I can predict it, apparently. I hadn't realized I couldn't until Mr. Benedict pointed it out. He started asking every morning if it was going to rain that day, and I would make it that I thought it was a dumb guess. Only my guesses always turned out to be right. How can that be? Sticky asked. Constance shrugged. Mr. Benedict says people's minds are noticing things all the time, even when we don't realize it. Sight, smells, temperature changes, all sorts of stuff. We notice it without consciously thinking about it. He says we may not be paying attention, but our brains are recording and processing it all at the same time. And these, these observations, or whatever you call them, make up a pattern. So if you go with patterns, the way Mr. Benedict says I am, you can sometimes predict things. Because you recognize the pattern, Rennie said, I get it. But I don't see how this explains what happened, Sticky said. What kind of pattern could predict the captain's knocking on the door? Maybe Constance's mind came to recognize the sound of footsteps in the passageway, Rennie suggested. While to the rest of us, that particular sound was still mixed in the unfamiliar noises of the ship. A lot of the ship's sounds must follow patterns, after all. It could be as simple as that. Sticky considered this. Highly developed, unconscious pattern recognition, he murmured. Okay, I buy that. But couldn't it also be that she's psychic? <laughs> Kate asked. Did Mr. Benedict ever mention that possibility, Constance? Constance, who now felt very ill indeed, and irritably, You know it's possible, Kate. Now stop asking stupid questions. She crossed her arms and closed her eyes, partly because she was so queasy and partly because she disliked being questioned, especially about this particular subject. Psychic ability would be an awful lot to cope with, Rennie thought, especially for someone as young as Constance. The prospect seemed to trouble her extremely. But Rennie said nothing, for at the moment he was troubled extremely by the sensation that his stomach was filled by wobbling gelatin. Kate was unwilling to let the matter drop, however. I'll stop asking questions when you start answering them, Constance. Has Mr. Benedict ever said anything about you being psychic, or hasn't he? Constance moaned. If I tell you, can we please stop talking about it? It's a deal, said Kate. The boy said nothing. They were both quite nauseated and were trying to hold very still. Unfortunately, with every minute that passed, the cabin seemed to sway with greater energy, as if the room itself were a swinging hammock. The captain's little chest was sliding back and forth, bumping first into the door, then the wall opposite. Kate took out a rope and tied the chest to a bunk. Mr. Benedict said it might seem like I'm psychic, even if I'm not, said Constance, sagging over a lie on her side. People's expressions and their tone of voice and, you know, just everything about their behavior, it's all made up of patterns, and my mind's good at recognizing them. So sometimes I know things you might not expect. Like right now, for instance, I can tell you you're about to ask me for an example. Kate's eyes widened. How did you know that? I have no idea, said Constance. Maybe it's something in your eyes. Maybe it's just that what you always do when I try to explain things. The point is that people have patterns, too. So there's your stupid example. Hey, that's pretty fun, said Kate, who hadn't noticed that Constance didn't think it in the fun at least. Of course it doesn't exactly rule out the possibility that you can read minds.
Yes, it does, said Constance, turning away. And don't argue with me. I'm done talking. I feel sicker than sick. So did Reddy and Sticky, both of whom were breathing in shallow gasps and longing for the solidity of land. Kate felt fine, however, and as she mulled over what Constance had told her, she snatched another treat from the tins and began to pace the cabin. This required no small feat of balance, as there was scant room for pacing and the floor was disinclined to hold on the level. She was chattering about something the whole while, but the boys had lost their ability to concentrate. Rennie was not trying to watch her. He would have closed his eyes, but doing so made him feel even sicker. Kate, will you please stop moving around? It's only making things worse. Kate stopped in her tracks. Making what worse? Oh, you don't look so well, Rennie. In fact, neither do you, Sticky. Are all of you sick? You should be a doctor, Sticky groaned. Before long, all three of the invalids were groaning so much that the cabin sounded like a frog pond. And Kate, seeing that her friend's conditions were only worsening, set out to learn the quickest routes for all the ship's bathrooms. It was also a good excuse to flee the whimpering moans. As it happened, the routes Kate learned proved useful to her friends, but they were all too sick to thank her. Mm-hmm.